A death ray constructed by Egghead has destroyed a small town in the American Midwest, although which town remains unclear. Egghead has also made demands that are currently being kept secret by the United States government. American arms dealer Tony Stark's bodyguard Iron Man appears to have caused a landslide in upstate New York, blocking a train, no casualties have as yet been reported. Dinosaurs and barbarians have attacked a crowd in New York City's Times Square, and been dispelled by a sorcerer calling himself Doctor Strange. And Captain America, thought dead until recently, has made a dramatic return, riding a motorcycle through a graveyard and engaging in a pitched battle with the green-clad organization Hydra. Curiously, although the captain's civilian identity was made public some months ago, no one seems able to remember it now. This is Doombot MP11 for the VOL. Zero, one, nine. This is the voice of Latvia. Zero, one, nine. Here in Latveria, we get news from all over the world. The news may be good or bad, but we will always tell you the truth, as Lord Doom sees it. Every week on The Voice of Latveria, we examine Marvel Comics history through the career of its greatest hero, Dr. Victor Von Doom. And now, here's your host, Douglas Walk, the man who has read every Marvel superhero comic book, and lived to tell us all about it. Thank you, Doombot BR22. This week, we're looking at Marvel Superheroes number 20 from 1969. And my guest is the remarkable comics critic, cultural commentator, and screenwriter, Laura Hudson. And I should note that we're talking outside on a beautiful summer day in Portland. If you hear birds or anything joining into the conversation, that's what's going on. Laura, hi. So you've been spending the past couple of years doing this sort of global tour before coming back here to Portland. Yes, I was down in L.A. for a while working on the HBO Max show DMZ. And then there was a pandemic. I've heard of that. And I moved out to Houston, where mm -hmm. my brother is, to stay with him because the world had shut down. And why not? And I got to see my niece and nephew every weekend. And, you know, I did a variety of things. I got to work on some video games that I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about yet. That's fun. Uh, I did some comic stuff I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about yet. I wrote the Tribeca Games Award Showcase. You know, like when they do award shows and all the people get up and they, like, say stuff. I wrote that stuff because nice. someone writes that. And this time, it was me. Excellent. I wrote a screenplay. I did a bunch of stuff. You know those things that you're like, you know, I'm going to do these things someday when I have the time. Suddenly you have the time because pandemic. Well, right. Because I also felt so much, of, so much of what I do is motivated by <laughs> guilt, fear, shame, yeah. where I was just like, if I don't do this now, then I'm never going to do it, right? My feeling was that if I don't do this now, that meant that I was just kind of telling myself that the whole time, that I was not, in fact, ever going to do it, because right. I don't know when I'm going to have more time than that ever. So it was kind of a uh, crap or get off the pot I see. Yeah. kind of situation. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how good any of those things really were, but I did do them, Douglas. That's excellent. I did do them. And then uh, I... My life in Texas was, let's let's say, very, very isolated. Mm -hmm. And I just got back to Portland two days ago. So my mind is not okay. It's 
good. It's just not okay. Nobody is okay right now. Yeah. Literally nobody. I feel like I've been rescued from an Antarctic base. That's always the one that I use because I I researched all these ice environments. Mm -hmm. What is it? Isolated. I don't remember what the sea is. And extreme. It's like astronauts in space or people in Antarctic bases where you're like reading through like what happens to them and you're like, oh no, a description of my life. Uh, But yeah, I feel like that and then like I just came back and then everyone's like, do you want to go to Pride Burlesque shows now? And I'm like, yes. Uh, but it, it feels really overwhelming. It feels very positive, but very overwhelming. Yeah. And so my brain's not working at what I would call 100%. So this will be interesting. Let's talk about, you know, Dr. Doom in a moderately psychedelic issue of Marvel Superheroes Presents Dr. Doom. Yeah, this was... Uh... So Marvel Superheroes, for its first uh, 13 or 14 issues, was pretty much just a schedule filler for Marvel in 1967-68. It mm-hmm. was reprints of Golden Age stories, pretty much. Okay. Uh, and then it became the Let's Burn Off Our Inventory title. Mm-hmm. So there was a Spider-Man story that had been commissioned when it looked like John Romita was going to miss his deadline for Spider-Man 50. Uh, there was the one and only solo Medusa story... Uh, there was a Phantom Eagle story and, and a couple other things. And then there was this Doctor Doom thing, which, if you notice, it has two writers and two pencilers. Uh, Larry Lieber and Roy Thomas are both credited with writing. Larry Lieber and Frank Giacquid, who's usually an inker, are, are pencilers, and mm-hmm. Vince Coletta inked the whole thing. And it kind of falls into two halves, and it, it seems likely that it was actually commissioned to be half of another of the split titles that Marvel was publishing at the time, like Tales of Suspense, Tales to Astonish, Strange Tales, uh, where you would get two different 11-page features of two different characters. And so it was an 11-page pilot episode that didn't go anywhere, that then got finished up later on to turn into uh, this 22-page story, This Man, This Demon. This is the first and not the last of the swipes from old Fantastic Four stories. And it's it's a riff on this man, this monster, which mm-hmm. had been a Fantastic Four story a little bit earlier. And we start with Doctor Doom wrestling with the thing, which is odd because the thing isn't in this story. And there's no dialogue. And we immediately see that it's just a holographic simulation to get some action into this story, which is otherwise... For most of its first half, Dr. Doom monologuing to himself. While in his own sort of personal danger room, as I understand it? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, he's by himself. We have to get him into action somehow. It's it's Larry Lieber, who's Stanley's brother, writing and drawing this. And Larry Lieber, at this point, had not done a ton of work on the superhero titles. He had mostly been working on uh, Western features for a couple of years before this. But Mm -hmm. this this is him kind of trying his hand at a superhero story. And what's what's even going on here? I mean, what I find interesting is that it's not merely that Doom is like, let's summon some recreations of my opponents. It's that he seems to specifically pick, quote, grim and humiliating memories of his defeats to replay to himself in his free time, which is an interesting personal choice. He's nothing if not obsessed with Richards and his friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that is his big thing. And, again, this this is 
completely in the mode of the Lee Kirby Fantastic Four. Like, everybody is drawn exactly like Jack Kirby was drawing them. Which doesn't really happen when these characters appear in other comics, necessarily. But it's, but it's an interesting view, like, if you consider this sort of like the... as a, a side story to that, where it's like he's having these... He's fighting these battles with the Fantastic Four, and this is the story where he just sits around brooding and relives his failures over and over and over and over and over, yeah. which is, I guess, what he does in his free time, yeah. which I understand. And uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar <laughs> with that, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so th- there's, there's this kind of faked-up fight with the Fantastic Four for the first few pages until all of a sudden Diablo just kind of shows up out of nowhere. I, wait, there's a there's also so it starts off though yeah. as a three D simulation right. that he's just watching, but then it comes alive. Oh yeah, right, right. It comes alive and starts attacking to him, which he doesn't seem as perturbed by as I would be, since that doesn't seem normal. And then then Diablo appears. Yeah. Yes. Diablo suggests that they form an alliance, and Doom is no one's inferior. Doom is also, as far as he's concerned, no one's equal. Mm. Uh, he. Uh, Despite having watched a uh, supercut of his failures yeah. earlier in the book. Yes. Yes. Uh, he, he has offered alliances to people in the past, but only when he's planning to be- betray them immediately. Mm. Like When he first encountered Spider-Man, he's like, we're not so different, you and I. We should really sort of join forces. We would be unstoppable. Spider-Man turned him down. The same thing happens here. Uh, Doom says, My ambitions, my destiny are mine alone. The star that Doom follows beckons only to him and none other. So they, they, they chat about it a bit, uh, and he pulls out one of his best weapons ever. This is one that had actually... Is that a literal finger gun? Uh, it's better, better than that. It's a boulder gun. I mean, it's attached to the fingers of his glove, but... Specifically the index and middle finger only, which yes, I think is. is interesting. It is It is a different sort of finger gun. Uh <laughs> But it, it is, we've actually seen this in Fantastic Four before, and we'll see it a few times again. It is a boulder gun. It is a gun that, when fired, turns molecules into boulders. Okay, so summoning boulders out of thin air. Yes. Okay. In answer to this, uh, Diablo suddenly like reaches into his belt, pulls out a pill, and swallows it. That was a, a that escalated quickly. Weird flex, uh, but okay. That turns him into some sort of amorphous body horror blob um, of flesh. A mass of nerveless protoplasm. Okay. Which is uh, somehow can't be attacked by Doom's blasters. Well, because it's it specifically attacks nerves. I don't know how he knew that. So he turned himself into a mass of goo that has no nerves. Right. Yeah. Okay. This is where this story really takes a turn and actually introduces a thing that becomes hugely important for Doom. Valeria. I was about to ask, is this the first time that we've seen his backstory as such? We've seen his backstory before. There was a version of this that appeared in Fantastic Four Annual Number no. 2, mm-hmm. but Valeria wasn't in that. Oh, okay. So this revisits that exactly, sometimes panel for panel, but now it's kind of writing Valeria into it. So are we retconning her into... We are totally retconning her into this story. This is Valeria's first appearance. And Valeria was his youthful great love. The girl from his past. We're going over, once again, the, the territory that we went over in FF Annual 2 with 
Doom as a child in you know, the, the fields of Latveria, and uh, suddenly the Baron's men coming for his father, the healer, and the healer is unable to heal the Baron's wife, and is hunted down, and is mortal, and uh, Doom's father is mortally wounded, and he vows revenge. And now Valeria is kind of on the scene for all of this. That's right. There's a they. There is one panel where uh, they are playing together, holding hands in a field before the father runs up and says, "I couldn't make the healing potion." Right. All right. Okay. This dialogue is repeated. You know, uh, when uh, his father says, "You have to protect," and young Victor thinks, "Oh, nobody has to protect me. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to avenge you." And Boris this man over at the right here who will become Doom's faithful retainer mm-hmm. says oh no what he was saying like you have to protect the world from Victor from my kid I feel like if see I, I was reading this as perhaps it's the introduction the, the entire original origin story yeah. and I was like I was like that's exactly, kind of yeah. I was like that's a little out of left field you yeah. know like because his him saying protect protect yes father none will have to protect me. And he's like, actually that kid, (laughs) that little boy is the one. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't make as much sense to me. It seemed like a a logical jump, but if there's, it seems like there's more backstory to it than that. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a little more. And and again, uh, he's just redrawing the panels from the, the Jack Kirby story. It does look a little Kirby esque, but immediately after that, there's a scene that was also in that story where uh, doom discovers the, chest with the heirlooms that belong to his mother who's you know, a sorceress and discovers his heritage and magic and here guess who's there guess who's there it's his girlfriend who's not keen on it she says no victor you mustn't it's wrong and dangerous and mm, she's right she is right yeah but it, it seems as though they stayed together after that because she warns him he we see in the next panel him doing some sort of ritual over a smoking cauldron of some type and then later, it looks like they're older now and still together when he decides to set off yeah. from uh, Latveria to learn from the science of the West. So she stayed with him after that throughout his she, mystic training or she, whatever. She did. And uh, then uh, he, uh, he decides he's going to learn science. He's going to go to the West. And uh, she says, then you're leaving Latveria. But what of us? What of our dream of a life together? Is that never to be? He says, that dream died with my childhood, Valeria. I have no love, no compassion, not a tender feeling to share with anyone. And starts getting this. Also, what a burn. They've been together into their yeah, like, young right? adulthood. And it's like, I haven't liked you since I was a kid or yeah, had I, any realistic chance. I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, uh, so, so he's he's going off on this kind of power mad speech. And she's, you know, she's, she's actually shedding a tear as uh, he rides away on his white horse toward, I guess, the airplane to America. But, you know, there's, there's a thread of hope. Yes. Uh, you know, she, she still loves him for what he once was, uh, for what I pray he'll again become when this nightmare ends. Yeah. So, you know, hope, hope springs eternal. I'm not going to spoil what happens with Valeria down the road just yet. Okay. But eventually. So, uh, flashback ends. We're back in the present with... Uh, Diablo. Diablo and Doom. And uh, Diablo has Valeria tied up in some kind of, like, mystic yellow glowing bands Mm -hmm. and disappears with her. Doom returns to his throne to brood and monologue as he does. And that would have been the end of the first chapter of this story had it been a serial instead of a, yeah, well, we got to wrap this up. 
mm-hmm. punctuated by, you know, we'll pay you $10,000 for this Lincoln penny. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll make you a master of karate. Only 99 cents. <laughs> yes. What a uh, deal. So the second half of it is the Roy Thomas Frank Giacoya half, which again starts with Doom kind of brooding and monologuing and taking off his mask in front of a mirror and freaking out and smashing the mirror. Like, how many mirrors does that guy go through? I don't know. Does he have servants? I feel like we don't see them. Is he just alone? He's got Boris. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Every uh, just I, yeah, that's the that's a side story. Is is Boris going to the mirror shop every week? The mirror seller, just wondering, why does he buy so many mirrors? It's his best customer. He's not going to question that, it. That's true. That's true. I will say, though, that it seems like he spends a lot of time alone brooding on the past and things he's lost. And, yeah, relatable. Relatable, yeah. Douglas. Yeah, I, I think we both feel that. It's interesting, too, because it seems like, you know, for all of his protestations and claims that he is doom alone and needs no one. He seems, uh, he seems to still sort of potentially cling to uh, the memory persists of paradise loss of worlds that might have been, indeed, of a world that which might yet be if I but grasp those long dead dreams and make them the stuff of reality. So he's thinking about it. Yeah. He's given it. He's given it some thought. He's yeah. saying, "Hey, maybe, actually, yes." Yeah. I mean, he left her behind, but he never stopped thinking of her. Yeah, but it's like, how old How old do you think Doom is here? I mean, he's Reed Richards' age, right? Yeah. So, so gray hair. Okay, so what's that? Got to be mid-40s at least, probably significantly more. Okay, so he hasn't seen someone like her in like 25 years. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, go on. Yeah, but, you know, he's, he's, he's carrying that torch. So takes off his mask, smashes the mirror, puts his mask back on again, monologues some more, uh, and then thinks about just kind of like wrecking the world. Yes, Though I, here we go. Here's the here's the, the though I shatter every mirror in my kingdom in the world. Man, he loves to destroy mirrors. Mm-hmm. Loves to destroy them all. It will never restore me to normal. Nothing can ever again make me feel like a man. Wow, some some deep emasculation yeah, uh, issues. I mean, you here know, that, that is something that he's got in common with the one that he really has contempt for, which is Ben Grimm. That's interesting. Who's always talking about how like he's he's not really a person he can't feel anything and he can feel emotion in a big way he just can't feel anything physical like this man this monster like the story that the story ripped off its title from starts with ben Grimm just like standing in the rain letting it fall down on him feeling sorry for himself and feeling nothing but feeling so much yeah and it's that sort of like you know i think that that comes up a lot in many differently bodied uh, superheroes where it's yeah. that sense of dissociation from your humanity when your your body well because you have you know i feel like there's the ones who can like you know pass right. this comes up with mutants a lot too but also like you know someone like reed richards he can look fantastical but then become normal again right and what does it mean to not be able to be normal yeah i mean i don't know don't you feel like there'd be some like think of all of the things technology has been able to accomplish in the marvel universe you know reed richards alone they couldn't fix his face they really really like, couldn't fix his face nothing can fix doom's face i don't like this this is a this is a recurring theme like for for whatever reason you can't fix doom's face you can't switch ben back to normal for real for for good and you can't fix doom's face it's not fixable 
I think it would be. I think it would be interesting to have a story where what's a what's what's the words I'm looking for that the X Men always used to use the image simulators. They, oh yeah, I'd be I'd be interesting to watch him go out and have a have a night on the town, as a as a normal doom. Because here's the thing, like you know, do you think he'd even want that? Because I think so much of his personality has been shaped around his disfigurement, you and, know, and his resentment, and his, yeah, his hatred, his resentment, his sense that, like as he says. Nothing can, again, make me feel like a man. And why should I want to be a mere man? Uh, I'm more, so much more. Right. I think that that identity of doom almost requires that. And I mean, narratively, it requires it. That's why it can't be switched back. But it's like psychologically as well. I think even if he did have the option to have a normal face again, I think on some level, he would not be able to embrace that while still being doom. Yeah, no, in, in the in the 2015 Secret Wars when he can remake everything in the universe with a thought he still can't fix his own face well because that's like you know that's the that's yeah that's the doom identity to, to yeah. do that would be to to fix his face would be to kill doom yeah absolutely to become once more but a mere man yeah who, who wants that <laughs> so <laughs> not doom yeah at this point of course uh diablo shows up again uh, so what do you say gonna be present are, are, are we are gonna are we gonna be partners? Are we gonna join forces? Also, can I pause and ask yeah. what is Diablo's obsession with having a partner? Is he just lonely? Is there why? Uh, I think he's he, very needy. I think he just really wants to get Doom on his side. So it's not about needing a partner. It's not that there's something well that's like all good relationship. It comes from want and not need. So he doesn't need a partner. He just he wants Doom to he, like him in particular. Doom's a real powerful force. If he can get Doom on side, he is fairly unstoppable. Uh, yeah, but I mean, he's taken some big... If, if you want someone on your side, I feel like he's taken some big risks. Because I feel like if you kidnap the childhood sweetheart yeah. of an incredibly powerful evil guy, that could really go either way. Yeah, uh, it, it is a problem. It's not, it's not something he's thought through all the way. Yeah, okay, fair that, enough. That's the reason why Doom is Doom and Diablo is Diablo. <laughs> So he, uh, Diablo projects an illusion of himself and says, like, hey, so partners, what? And Doom's like, okay, partners for right at, for right now. Realizes that Diablo wasn't actually there, neither was Valeria. From the beginning as From well. From the beginning, yeah. Yeah, they had yeah. never been there all along. Yeah. We go to America to uh, the castle. This is uh, Doom's castle in the Adirondacks. But currently occupied by the armed forces, it seems. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's heavily guarded, but it, it does seem like there there's some sort of military presence there. And Valeria is there, and uh, then somebody starts bombing or shooting at the castle. It's really unclear what's going on so here from the yard. So what I, what I believe happened here is, so he flies in, Doom flies in with his invisible shield ship, doesn't matter, finds Valeria and Diablo and is like, you know, Valeria, I wanted to show her the conqueror I had become, but not like this, because he's still, he feels emas emasculated, right. as we discussed before, because his castle is being occupied by the military. Right. So he's like, before Valeria wakes up and sees me, I need to, you know, dominate uh, the military and get them out of my castle so she can see me in all of my glory. So he turns away from his conversation, mid-conversation yeah. with Diablo, who says, Doom, don't be a fool, and then attacks the American military. Right. Uh, who immediately counterattack, and then suddenly we're having a army battle. Right. Uh, which lasts two panels. 
Um, <laughs> uh, we discovered that uh, their shots are not even reaching the castle, and Doom then gets an amazing Roy Thomas line, which is, Bah, not for me are the putrid pledges of diplomatic immunity. Man, I feel like that would be great to just put on a shirt for yeah. diplomats. Yeah. I know that's a really specific suggestion, but... It's it's an after-hours kind of shirt. For yeah, them. yeah. Uh, but there is... Uh, within the castle is the thing that Diablo really wants, which is the reason that he's trying to reach out to Doom all this time, which is Doom's time machine, his time platform. And I... Raises more questions than it answers in several ways, but like, so the American military is occupying this castle, which has a time machine in it, mm -hmm. and no one has touched the time machine. The time machine is just kicking it. There are no scientists here. No one is studying this. It hasn't been removed. It's a time machine. So it would be like the greatest discovery in human history, and they're just like letting it chill in a castle. I mean, so this particular time machine was removed from Doom's castle Okay. Uh, by Reed Richards. It was installed in the Baxter building. Okay. And then it, for various stories, it has to show up in Doom's castle again. Mm -hmm. But they can do that because it's a time machine. So this could actually be a different time machine. It could be some like... No, it could be the same time machine, but at a different time, like having cycled through and... Well, right. Yeah. But like, in, you know, in the primer sense of it, like right. it's creating... New timelines, right? Every time it moves. I don't think that had been sufficiently worked out yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it's, it's jumping around. It could potentially be a few places at the same time. That makes sense. It'll be the same machine. That makes sense. Yeah. So Diablo has some ideas, and Doom is uh, messing with its control panel and says, oh, I'm just re-familiarizing myself with it. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure is a throwaway comment, which won't matter at all. No, no, not at all. Diablo starts explaining his plan to rule the world with it. Now, here we get... Uh, Laurie, you were looking at this, this two-page spread earlier. I should note that when this issue was first reprinted in giant Size Supervillain Team-Up number one, mm -hmm. they reprinted it without this two-page spread. Why? It's the coolest thing in the issue. It kind of is. So it, what's, what's going on here? Uh, so we are looking at, it's a... A uh, two-page spread of space mm -hmm. uh, at its most basic. We have a a giant uh, sort of almost silhouette in red of Diablo uh, superimposed over the back, over the stars, and so on and so forth. And across that, we seem to have all manner of satellite, space station. I feel like that's got to be ripped off of the original Star Trek a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all, all manner of, of spacecraft and satellite stuff and he's basically envisioning a 20th century earth obeying our every whim and dictate under the threat of instant annihilation by space spinning satellites nice alliteration so the idea is i think that they would go back in time put all of these satellites and modern technology into space and then be able to rule the world through that advanced technology as I guess man emerged? Like, how far back are we going? As far as back as you like. It's a time machine. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Is you could go back to, you know, the, uh, the emergence of human beings, I suppose, right. and rule them from their inception using your advanced technology. He has, he has some he has some fast days, and this answers my question, why is he obsessed with teaming up with Doom? Actually, it doesn't, Douglas, hmm? because he... Okay, so he needs the time machine. That's why he wants to team up with Doom. 
Does he need Doom for the time machine, or could he, he doesn't just... know how to work the time machine? Okay, so that's why he needs him. What's interesting about both that two-page spread and this next page, which is a huge image of Diablo's face with four smaller images inset, is that this is just straight up Jim Steranko-ism. Yeah. This is stuff that Steranko had been doing in Strange Tales and Nick Fury like a year before, which Frank Giacoya or whoever penciled this section is at this point going like, I want to do that. That's cool. Yeah. And trying. It's, that's, Try. the, as they say on the internet, there was an attempt. There was an attempt, yeah. Diablo's continuing to monologue about uh, going back to the Civil War. I think this is, this is a case where Frank Giacoya drew a Civil War scene and Roy Thomas was like, and how are we going to explain the Civil War scene? Uh, I'm going to try it. Because I was going to say, this is very American-centric. Oh, yeah. <laughs> imagine thinking, I have a time machine, and I want to change the course of all human history. You know, I'm going to start the American Civil War. I don't know, man. Have you considered the Roman Empire? And like, a lot of other pivot points. Like, Diablo and Doom are both very European. Mm-hmm. Like, they're both old Europe. They are the old... Why are they talking about the Civil War? Doom, of course, interrupts this. He wasn't just refamiliarizing himself with the time machine that he invented mm-hmm. he was uh, managing to somehow snap valeria out of her mystical bonds or something her trance her trance yes cue another fight between diablo and doom mm-hmm. involving age-old pellet age-old pellet it's a stink bomb what does age-old mean it's you know old europe Okay. It's an old European. It's a midi. So there's a medieval stink bomb here. Yes, medieval stink bomb. Fantastic. Yeah. Which Doom manages to block with his armor, and he's somehow using this to lure Doom onto the time machine's launch platform. So I was so excited when I saw a launch platform because I imagined that it was going to be a square with like a giant spring under it that would shoot him into the air. Uh, into time. Well, right. I imagined into air, but, you know, yeah. I will also accept time. Um, I like that it's called a chrono square. But I like that, that that's the delivery method for the time machine, yeah. is that you there is a chrono square that you step onto and it springs you into time. Now, see, when we've seen the time platform before, the cool thing about it is that it is just a square that kind of like lifts up over you and as it does you find yourself in the time that it has transported you to okay so you you are under it uh, you start by standing on it and then it just sort of raises and oh. when it is over your head you are fully in the time you've gone to okay interesting yeah. interesting so it's more of a rise than the launch yeah okay yeah. so it seemed as though they both planned to betray each right. other all along surprise like so, but no yeah once once we get um once we get Doom on the Chrono Square, uh, okay, Diablo shouts now, to whom, I ask, himself? <laughs> now! Uh, hits the button and says goodbye forever, Dolt. But then he starts fading from view as Doom has sent him to uh, a future Earth decimated by eons of warfare. So it's it's the future dead Earth. Mm-hmm. We go on to see a few times later. Like, we've seen, like the version of the future dead earth that's ruled over by King Thor, for instance. Well, you go, I mean, maybe this is my innate pessimism showing, but you go far enough into the future and eventually. Yeah. I mean, even prior to, like, you know, 
heat death of the universe or the right. explosion of the sun. I mean, everybody's going to be gone at some point. Right. Keep turn that dial far enough, and uh, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So, but there's this is a. Do you feel this is a specific era of dead Earth that mm. is is returned to at other times? Well, the craters is the craters are still smoking. So okay, yeah. okay, so it's fresh. Yeah, it's fresh. So, so uh, at this point, we kind of just write Diablo out of the story because we only have less than the page left to go. And we have Doom trying to get fresh with Valeria. Indeed. Like, so about, you know... Our life, our lifetime together. Yeah. And she very understandably is like, uh, no, no, don't touch me. Poor Doom. Well, and, you know, then he says, you know, but why? It was... I did this for you. I did this for you that I destroyed Diablo. Yeah. Well, because relationships are transactional yeah. in, in that manner, and that's yeah. how things work. Yeah. Um, however... The problem Valeria has is not that Doom thinks that romance is transactional and that she owes him something because he um, defeated the guy who kidnapped her, but because she, uh, she has dreamed of this moment for many years uh, to be the beloved, not of the cruel, callous doc Dr. Doom, but of a man I once knew named Victor. When I saw you gloat over the fate of Diablo, I knew that man was forever gone. That was the moment! That was the moment. Yeah, there have been I, many, many, but you know, many, many moments. If it takes a particular thing to make something sink in, sure, yeah. sure. That's that's the yeah. one of all his crimes. Yeah, gloating. <laughs> yeah. So um, he uh, she walks away. And, well, she gives him a chance. Yeah. She says, you know, basically, will you renounce your yeah. ambition? Right. Which is a similar thing to what I was discussing before. Right. Like, would you want to fix your face? Right. It's it's the one question. He's right. yeah. He's never going to not be doomed and he just doesn't answer her and so she just walks away and says we shall never meet again spoilers they do uh the first time it doesn't go well for him the second time it really doesn't go well for her oh i feel like i know how that ends in comic book stories it's creepier even than you're thinking ah and so then he uh he broods alone in his armor as is his want and honestly at some point you have to ask maybe his preference yeah. you know Knowing at long last that it is not his burnt, scarred face, his grim metal mask, which are now and forever his merciless prison, but the man himself, the tortured, twisted being whom the world calls only Doom. And, you know, this, this is a classic kind of final shot of movie, like romantic hero walking sadly away into the distance kind mm -hmm. of thing. There's there's been a little bit of dignity afforded to him by the story setup. Mm -hmm. He's still a hot mess. He's a, he's a tragic villain. Yeah, in, in that sense, you good. know, like I think there's a certain yeah drama and dignity afforded to him. Yeah. Um, Has what, he earned it? What is it? what does anyone earn anything, Douglas? <laughs> um, but it's like you know, I I I think a lot of that comes from. I mean, even even the. The backstory itself, right? Part of why you tell a backstory is to generate a fuller sense of a character as a human being, a sense that, you know, they're not merely this, you know, caricature throwing lightning bolts at someone. Actually, they had a very rough childhood. You know, like that's an oversimplification, but that's part of what it is. It's this understanding that, that I think makes evil characters, quote unquote evil characters, more interesting is that. They aren't really interesting if it's just like, well, why are they evil? They're just evil. You know, I, I think there's that more complex 
perspective that's like, well, most people, there are, of course, true sociopaths and just like genuinely terrible people in the world who do things without a lot of reason. But most people who, you know, harm or, you know, lash out uh, or, you know, behave in some of the ways that, you know, doom behave psychologically, they happen because bad things have happened to them. Um, and, you know, the, the backstory affords us a glimpse at why. And like you said, this isn't the first time we, we were, we was like, okay, so the dad died and he's mad at the Baron and he's mad at the world. We get it. We get it. We get it. But it was interesting to add that sort of note of, it's not just that he moved on from this childhood trauma to this sort of megalomaniacal personality. It's that there was something that he left behind you know, he left behind more than his, you know, his, his sense of himself as Victor, right? right? He left behind more than, what's the word that I'm looking for? You know, I, I guess when he, it's, maybe it's just a fuller, it's a fuller examination of that where it's like, when he left his humanity behind, he also left behind a person, yeah. right? And it's like, as much as, you know, Victor right now might seem unrecoverable, right? Like, again, like he would never, I don't think he would ever fix his face if he could. I, he would never... He would never not want to be doomed. There is still something of the victor in him. And that's what we see with Valeria, right? Like, that, you know, he immediately responds to it. And, you know, by the time that, you know, Valeria is freed from the trance, he's ready to go. Yeah. He's like, yeah, let's run off together, live a life together. Um, but, of course, the stakes of that are... He has to stop being Dr. Doom. He has to stop being Dr. Doom, the one thing that he will never do. Um, I mean, I don't know how well, you know, again, you've read more of the later Valeria stories, I'm like, I don't even know how well of, you know, even if Valeria had been like, yes, Dr. Doom, I love you, metal mask and all. I can't, how's that going to end? How is that going to end? Maybe you know the answer to that question. I'm going to say not well, though. So the interesting thing about this story is that it, it's the next to last piece of what makes the classic version of Doom. And Doom at this point, but this is 1968, feels with some justification that he's been wrong well, well because she's you know we we've heard the origin story but all of those things are in the past right she's a living representation of it she's something that is not merely a memory or or something long gone but someone alive and vital and right now that he could potentially embrace you know everything else has been lost but like she's still alive the one remaining piece of the puzzle is like okay so what does he want now i mean you know what doom wants well we don't entirely we don't what do you think we know what Doom says he wants. Like, that's, I think that's the thing is, you know, from the very beginning, right? We see him uh, obsessing over his failures and then basically saying, actually, I'm the best and I don't need anyone and I'm the best in the world. We know you're not the best in the world, Doom, because we just watched, again, like a whole super cut of your failures. So there's always this dichotomy between what Doom tells himself and, you know, what he perhaps wants on some level. But he he does not actually want global domination for its own sake. Diablo suggests that, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't go for it. He's not interested in going back and taking over the world via his time machine. 
He could have done that a while ago. He's got the time machine. That's not quite what he wants. He does want more power, and we don't know why just yet. And we will. That's interesting because I, I I would have said it's 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 that personal egotistical gratification of wanting wanting to dominate, wanting to be, you know, powerful, wanting to be the one in charge. But you're saying there, there's more to it than that. And what, what is what is his humiliation by Richards holding him back from? That's a thing that we won't discover until about a year half year and a half from now, or something like four episodes from now, mm-hmm. when Jerry Conway writes. Just a one-off story that we'll get to. Interesting. Where you find out Interesting. what his what his endgame is. And there is an endgame. Oh, yeah. And he has it in mind from the beginning, or...? It's implied that he has it in mind from the beginning. And it's based on his interactions with Richards. Uh, no. It actually has nothing to do with Reed Richards. Oh. And actually nothing to do with Valeria. It's all doom. Mm, not all do, but it's being set up already. Interesting, because there is that question of because you know when when you were I thought for a second you'd suggested it was the humiliation of, of Richards that had because it's like what makes Doom Doom was Doom Doom the second his father died, you know was Doom Doom when he uh, scarred his face and put on the mask was Doom Doom when he encountered Richards what 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 made Doom Doom. It's a character that we have never seen on panel at this point, mm-hmm. but we've seen him referred to. It's his mom. Oh, gotta love some mommy issues. Oh, yes. Okay. It's his mom who left him the uh, chest full of sources. I thought there artifacts. was implied that she had died. What? I, was there an implication that she had died? She had. Oh. Did he try to bring her back from the dead? Not quite. Did someone try to bring her back from the dead? Not quite. Does she come back from the dead? Nope. Does he die and go to the underworld to get her back? Is it some Greek mythological stuff? Close. Her soul is in hell. Oh, boy. And he wants to rescue it. Okay, noble quest. Yeah. Noble, again, very Greek mythological. Like Very, very Greek mythological. Uh, and eventually he will. But we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always got to be a journey, right? Absolutely. It's got to be a quest. Yeah. That's cool. I like that, actually. Thank you so much, Laura. For... Oh, for coming by? For coming by. For coming by to our our windy porch. You've probably been hearing a few wind sounds um, on this lovely summer day. It is a lovely summer day, and you have cherry trees, and I ate some of your cherries, and they were really good. That was nice. They're so good. Yes. Of course, for every uh, cherry that you eat, you have to spend a month in Portland. Well, that's... It's like Persephone. I, I think that's... How many did I eat? I ate like 10. I mean, I don't really ever want to leave again. What a, what a nightmare that was. Help yourself to some more. Well, okay. You, you can <laughs> I, would, I will gladly do so, Douglas. Laura Hudson, thank you so much again for coming to join us. Next week, Charles Hatfield comes to The Voice of Latveria to talk about Fantastic Four number 84 to 87. And listeners, I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you enjoy this podcast, please give it a good rating or a review. We'd love to let more people know about it. The Voice of Latveria podcast is made possible by the patronage of listeners like you. If you support us through patreon.com slash douglaswolk, you'll get access to our private book club and discussion board for Marvel Nerds, the 616 Society. You can find out more about this podcast on our website, voiceoflatveria.com, and follow us on Twitter. This is Douglas Wolk for the VOL. Douglas Wolk appears by special arrangement with Universe 1218.
His book, All of the Marvels, is a guided tour, of 60 years and half a million pages of the Marvel comic story. All of the Marvels will be published by Penguin Press this October. Lord Doom, commands you to order it. Zero, one, nine. This is, the voice of Latvia. Zero, one, nine. Tomorrow, on Monsters and Mysteries, who really lived in Castle Frankenstein. The legendary Swiss castle has been occupied by a series of fascinating figures. From Hans von Frankenstein, who fought the Schusslicher Lindworm in 1531, to the recent inventor of an experimental growth ray, who accidentally turned an amoeba into spore, the thing that could not die. We'll also look into the mystery of Ludwig von Frankenstein, whose experiment X caused such a furor recently, as well as the apparently unrelated Frankenstein family, who moved into the castle after the death of Basil Frankenstein in 1942, and were responsible for the partial destruction of its laboratory equipment. And we'll speak with Vincent Frankenstein, about the stories surrounding the monster created by his ancestor Victor, and whether he really hasn't been seen since 1898 or was active more recently as part of the first line. That's Monsters and Mysteries, tomorrow on the VOL. This concludes our broadcast day. May Doom's terrifying face inspire you to devotedly implement his policies, until you die.